And this episode is brought to you by Die Real Estate and Land Company. They are the real estate agents based in Northwest Ohio that are the go-to company for people who enjoy the rural lifestyle and are looking to buy and sell some property. The whole team is amazing. I've used them in the past. Uh, I'm partial to Jaylene myself for obvious reasons, but uh, they're all there for you whenever you need them. If you're in the market, just drop them a line at info at diarealestate.com. That's info at dyerealestate.com. And don't forget to tell them, support your local podcast sent you. I now declare the quick draw competition open. Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, and take a sip on a nice cold brew. It's Support Your Local Podcast, the show where we go over the 1995 Sam Raimi Western classic, The Quick and the Dead, one chapter at a time. I am your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today, we'll be going over chapter 10, Ace versus Herod. But before I do, I hear some spurs clacking on the boardwalk outside. There's a tall, shadowy figure coming up to the Batwing doors. And I see that we have a returning guest, one that I'm very excited to see today. Uh, one Mr. Snake Eyes, Jeff Wolberg. Jeff, how are you doing today, sir? Not too bad. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. We are excited to have you back. Uh, those who know that he was on a, a few chapters back, uh, we did have what I am I have affectionately, hopefully affectionately, coined the Wolber curse in regards to audio when we did those chapters. Uh, Jeff, I apologize. I did not pick just on you. I did also pick on your brother, uh, our beloved Jay Wolber as well. So uh, here we are to try to alleviate the curse and break it. I, I did uh, bring some chicken bones with me. I did a bad juju dance. Um, I, I did all the things I could do. Next time I'm going to bring a priest and I don't even believe in Catholicism, but what the hell, let's give it a try. I don't know what it is. This this stuff happens to the Wolvers, man. I swear, stuff like this follows us. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it, it, it is crazy stuff. I you know I, I mentioned with it being Jay, you know he's into the paranormal stuff. Uh, check out his podcast, Cryptids of the Corn, if you haven't already. It's it's huge in Zimbabwe. Um, so I kind of expect it when it regards to him, but when it, it bled over into Jeff, I mean, this just has to be something to do with your genealogy. I don't know if you guys built your family home on an Indian burial ground, what, what the deal yeah. was, but we're, we're going to try to get out of it. So uh, today is our, our redemption chapter. Hopefully we, we get a little bit better uh, audio with, with Jeff, but looking forward to having you. I'm glad you're, you're here today. Um, again, glad today to we're going to oh, I'm glad to have you, sir. Um, Today, again, we are going to take a look at Chapter 10, Ace versus Herod. Uh, however, before we do that, uh, as always, I do like to take a little bit of a deep dive, take a look at one of our cast and crew, one of our movers and shakers, if you will, in, in regards to their career, both leading up to this movie, but also what they've accomplished afterwards. And those that have been listening these these previous chapters know I'm really excited to do this movie. I'm not doing a bunch of bit characters from the 60s like I did with Support Your Local Sheriff. 
Mr. Garner is, is the exception to that, of course, um, but really get to sink our teeth into some of these these cast and crew. And today is definitely no exception. Today we are going to take a look at one Mr. Lance Henriksen. Yes, Juice, Ju- Juicy Jesus. Yes, that's what I was about to say. I'm keeping that in. I'm not even going to change it. Douchey <laughs> Jesus himself, uh, Ace Hanlon, in regards to this movie, uh, in a segment that I like to call, put my damn name on the board. All right, and as we said, today we're going to take a look at one Mr. Lance Henriksen. Uh, Jeff, I, I know you're kind of excited to get a hold of him. We had talked about it a little bit uh, off offline when we were doing our previous chapter of, you know, just this cast and crew in general of this movie, but this guy in particular, this guy is an icon, uh, no, no doubt about it. He's been in, like, so many, I'm just looking at some, so many different things. <laughs> Yeah, it is ridiculous. I do have a a little bit of horror trivia at the end for all you fans. So keep track of some of these movies and some of the the classic icon horror monsters that may or may not have given Lance Henriksen an end. Uh, They may have unalived him, if you will, in the the parlance (laughs) of the kids today's. Um, But... Mr. Henriksen, obviously, is a, he's actually a classically trained actor. He, he did graduate from the actor's studio. Fun fact that I found when I was looking him up on Wikipedia and other research is he had a, a fairly troubled childhood. Uh, he kind of bounced in and out of foster homes a, as a kid, something that obviously I, I understand a little bit near and dear to my heart in regards to that. Um, did not graduate from school. Uh, actually did not learn how to properly read until he was 30 years old. Um, and I, I found that interesting because I mean, so much of obviously acting has to re- revolve around being able to read the scripts and, and be able to do things like that. That was actually what led him to teach himself how to read. So he got into the actor studio. He did some, uh, small productions as a, uh, production assistant and as, as kind of the person doing the, the wardrobes and the backgrounds, you know, behind the scenes kind of guy, he got a bit part in one of the plays and it led him to start leading to more and more acting. And he realized that if he was going to be that he had to learn how to read. So he actually taught himself how to read at the age of 30 and I just found out that was that's a little ridiculous like mad props to him at that age to be able to teach him something as something as literacy but uh, he did start out with a, a couple bit parts uh, as far back as 1961 1972 uh, 1973 doing some uncredited work uh, it wasn't until uh, Dog Day Afternoon in 1975 that he, he hits a, a movie that kind of lands on my radar uh, 1976, he was in Mansion of the Doomed. Uh, 1976, also, he was in uh, Network. He was in The Next Man. Uh, but it wasn't until 1977 when he played the role of my my beloved namesake, Robert, in The uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, so obviously, that's that's going to be probably his first big blockbuster movie that he would have been a part of. Uh, he was in 1978, Damien, The Omen 2. Uh, speaking of our, our possessed and, and scary uh, thrillers uh, as regards to the Wilbur curse, uh, we, did, we do have the second Damien. <laughs> uh, 1981, The in- Dark End of the Street. Uh, 1981 also, he is in Piranha 2, The Spawning. And this is significant because this is obviously done by one Mr. James Cameron, who will go on to much, much bigger, better things than than Piranha 2. Um, But keep that in mind when we get here a little bit closer. 1983, he's in Nightmares and The Right Stuff. And then in 1984, 
he reprises, or he doesn't reprise, he, he gets back into the good graces of well, one Mr. James Cameron in a little movie that some of you may have heard. Um, that movie would be called The Terminator. Uh, obviously, the, the kickstart to Arnold Schwarzenegger's career as a big Hollywood blockbuster. But here's your fun fact trivia. Did you know that the role of the titular Terminator was originally going to go to one Mr. Douchey Jesus himself, Lance Henriksen. Really? I did not not know that. Yes. Now, I had heard throughout the years, they always talked about uh, there was a time and a place where um, O.J. Simpson was actually being considered as the Terminator. Um, I have heard that before. But yes, in, in writing it, um, just the stoic nature and the, and the way that he can play a robot, which obviously will come in handy here in a few other roles, um, Lance Hendrickson was actually originally considered uh, to play the titular role of the Terminator because that was back when the story led them to be more of a, a inconspicuous character. You know, they weren't supposed to be these hawking, non-stoppable, or they're still, still supposed to be non-stoppable machines. Uh, non-stoppable. Oh, English class. See, I need to learn how to read. <laughs> unstoppable uh, wrecking machines as Terminators, but they were supposed to blend in with the, with humanity. That's what made them so dangerous. So it wasn't until much later that we got these hawking brutes and O.J. Simpson and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but originally it was supposed to go to kind of more of a common man, and I would I would venture to guess that Lance Hendrickson definitely fits that bill. Mm. Uh, 1985, we have Jagged Edge. Uh, 1986, another big role for him. This would probably be his most... This probably his first kind of iconic character in regards to himself. So Terminator, he plays the detective. Um, when you know you're looking for him, you know that that's Lance Henriksen when you rewatch this. Um, but everybody's going to know him that's seen a little, another James Cameron classic named Aliens uh, playing the, let's face it, the robot, the unstoppable killing machine, as it turns out, uh, one Mr. Bishop. And so that's where he, he gets his his first role kind of in a, a bigger horror film playing a, a character that's like I said, going to be a little bit more classic. We'll hear more about Bishop as we go through this, but uh, also 1986 on dangerous ground, uh, 1987, he plays Jesse hooker in near dark. Uh, great, great vampire flick. If you've never seen near dark, um, I do request that you go search it out on uh, whether it's Amazon or, or Hulu or whoever may actually have the, the rights to that right now. Um, but definitely a nice little twisted, dark um, horror classic in, in Near Dark. 1988, uh, he does play the, the father character in Pumpkinhead. Um, and will continue to play in, in those further sequels. Uh, again, if you've never seen Pumpkinhead, go, go check that out. That's one of my my cheesy cult classics that I have to watch almost every year. I try to find time to, to get into those. No, I've uh, definitely that, seen them in Aliens. I remember that one, but I've never seen any of the Pumpkinhead movies. Oh, it's it's definitely worth a look. If if you enjoy the the very low budget eighties classics, mm-hmm. um, this is this is the the reason I discovered is this this played almost consistently during the Halloween season on USA when I was growing up as a kid. So if it, <laughs> okay. if it wasn't a very, very censored Friday the 13th, then it was Pumpkinhead. If it wasn't Pumpkinhead, it was one of the Puppet Master movies. Um, but I would put it definitely hand-in-hand hand with kind of the the budget and, 
style of, of a puppet master movie, but definitely, definitely worth a watch, at least the first one. Um, they do get progressively sillier, much like the Wishmaster movies, um, but I would definitely at least check out the first one of, of the Pumpkinheads. Uh, then we have 1989, we have The Horror Show. And then I take a second to flip my page. Um, 1990, The Last Samurai. Uh, 1991, The Pit and the Pendulum. 91, also Stone Cold. Uh, 1992, he reprises his role of Bishop in Alien 3. Um, but also, we discover during that movie, spoilers, uh, that his visage is actually the direct representation of uh, Michael Wayland, the creator of uh, Wayland Otani, the, the company that sends Sigourney Weaver's crew off to find these aliens and, and becomes a very pivotal character in the history of in the, the uh, continuum of that franchise. Uh, 1992, we see Delta Heat, um, 93, Excessive Force, 93 as well. We have a cameo appearance uh, on uh, su the Super Mario Brothers movie. And with a, a new Mario movie looming on the horizon, not to, not to date this, this podcast, but unfortunately we do have the, pris, the Chris Pratt uh, Mario movie coming out fairly soon. Uh, I will always stay loyal to the, the 90s version with uh, John, Ling, uh, John Leguizamo as Luigi and Bob Hoskins as Mario. It's horrible. <laughs> it is not a good movie. Um, was I'm it not Dennis sure. Hopper? Was King De Koopa? Dennis Hopper was, in fact, Bowser, King Koopa, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I don't... It, that movie, along with Masters of the Universe, just goes to show <laughs> if you're going to make a movie based on a ridiculously popular franchise... Take the time to actually watch the damn source material. Yeah. Um, no, I, I remember being. I'm sorry. I was. Just, I remember you, being a, a, like a kid, a child, what, 93 when those came out. Like watching those movies and like this is wrong. You know what yes. I mean? <laughs> like both of those movies. Yeah. It's like yep. this is not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yep. Nine. You know, 93. I'm. A, I'm 11 years old. I am. I am the poster child of what the the He-Man kid generation was. <laughs> and I I distinctly remember Masters of the Universe was the first time, even at, at my ripe old age, that I discovered that a movie could be bad. I, I, didn't, <laughs> under, I didn't understand that concept yet. You know, movies were these fantastical <laughs> things. There, there's no such thing as a bad movie because it's an awesome thing. It's a movie. Right. And, and seeing that... And going like even in my kid in my kid mind, I'm I'm cussing them out. Going, what did you do to my He-Man? <laughs> Dolph Lundgren's awesome in it. Don't get me wrong. Frank Langella's an awesome Skeletor, but right. I did I didn't need them to 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 attack New York. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think and, the and movie the, for me that was like that was uh, Mortal Kombat two. That really so, so not the yeah. first one, but the second, and I agree that the, yeah, second, the second one is, one. is atrocious. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I, I, I just, fortunately nowadays, I think the, the fan base or the kids that grew up on those things, they're the ones that are now old enough to make the movies. So things are getting a little bit better. They're, they're staying yeah. really true to the source material, but my goodness, those early nineties were a, um, those were an adventure. Those were an adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thank, thankfully, Marvel movies didn't really exist back then because Lord knows what we would have ended up with. Oh, wait. Yeah, right. I do know. <laughs> we would have had that Captain America movie that still exists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 93 as well. We have Hard Target. Um, we have The Criminal Mind. Uh, 94, we have Color of Night. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Color of Night, that is the erotic thriller with Bruce Willis and Scott Bakula, where it answers the age-old question, in case you ever wondered, are Bruce Willis's testicles buoyant? Um, we, we get to find out. We get to find out. Uh, and then it takes us to 95, where we're, we're here at the Quick and the Dead with, with Sam Raimi, um, playing once again Ace Hanlon. Uh, I, we coined the, we coined the term when, when your brother was on, uh, prior, uh, that he just looks like a douchey Jesus, um, or yeah. juicy, or juicy decious, as I said earlier, <laughs> same thing. He, as the one, uh, uh, the whore upstairs says, you know, he is so hot. I mean, maybe, maybe he is juicy. We'll see. Um, 95, we have powder. Uh, we have the, the nature of the beast, uh, 97 gunfighters moon. Take a second to flip my page. Do, do, do. Um, 99. I did not know this. He is the voice of Kerchak in the Tarzan animated movie. The, 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 the lead alpha gorilla of the pack that doesn't want Tarzan to be a part of things. Um, that was actually voiced really? by one Mr. Lance Hendrickson. Yes. Um, very extensive voice work and, and, and going through the things I had. That, was, that one was not on my radar. Uh, 2000, we get into Scream 3, where he plays the, the director and producer, John Milton. And this is obviously very infamous of a role because this was a, a Merrimax film. And for those that don't know, Merrimax was the, the company that was ran by he who shall not be named, but I'm going to name him so that I can connect the dots. Um, one Mr. Harvey Weinstein, who has since obviously been kind of outed as a deplorable, deplorable, like I am not, I will never justify anything this man ever did. He is, he is the scum of the earth, horrible, horrible person is rightfully serving time for what he did. But the fun thing about Scream 3 was Lance Henriksen is essentially playing this Hollywood producer who has a dark and sordid history of taking these young starlets and introducing them to the casting couch. And for those that know what that means, then you know what that means. And for those that don't, uh, search casting couch on your internet browser, but make sure that uh, you put incognito mode on first. Um, And one of these, one of these uh, starlets was the Sidney Prescott character's mom who, who ends up birthing, I'm not going into the whole spoiler. We're not doing Scream 3. We're doing Quick and the Dead. But anyways, so here we are. We're in a Miramax movie with this character playing essentially Harvey Weinstein to Harvey Weinstein's face because he's the producer of this movie and it somehow got through and didn't like that. That's the the level of ego that this guy had to have had that either he didn't get <laughs> that this was Wes Craven and them saying like, look, you're you're kind of this guy, or he was he just felt he was so above it. I don't know it, but it's just so fun to know that they were essentially rubbing this in his face to his face. That's crazy. 
2004, he comes back as Charles Bishop Wayland, again, part of the Wayland utani group that's, uh, that's responsible for the entirety of the, uh, the Alien franchise. Uh, and the crossover hit, uh, I guess hit, they made about, what, nine of them, uh, Alien versus Predator. So the, the prequel to the prequel to the prequel before we got Prometheus. So, <laughs> so 2005, he plays the, the host of the party in the straight-to-video sequel Hellraiser Hellworld. Um, and for those that don't know, that was the one where essentially they had created, in the movie, they had created a, a video game about Hellraiser. And they, it was a, a live-action role-playing game. And, and really, it's, it's interesting because this, was, this existed in a movie prior to the now-famous Friday the 13th series that was a huge game and was essentially that, where you could go around and play in a Friday the 13th movie on a video game. There's, there's now, an, speaking of, of Mr. Raimi, there's now an Evil Dead video game that does the same thing where you can essentially play in these movies. Here, this was just a, a bit of the script for a, a Hellraiser movie. And uh, so essentially he plays the, the host of a party. I, I think he may even be the creator of the game. Uh, but I know that all the people kind of go to his house and, and play the game. And then all literally all hell breaks loose. It is a Hellraiser movie. Um, and they get all cinnabited to death. Uh, fun fact, that's one of the very first uh, American roles for one Mr. Henry Cavill. Keep an eye out for him. Superman himself, the Witcher, uh, kind of got one of his big breaks, uh, as big as you can get being a, in the seventh you know, sequel direct-to-video of Hellraiser. But he is in there. I've seen him. Uh, and then we have 2006, Sasquatch Mountain, to harken back to your brother Jay. We'll have to see if he's watched that. Uh, 2006 as well, he is the voice of Brainiac and Superman, Brainiac Attacks. Uh, and then we have some direct-to- uh, TV films, uh, sequels of Pumpkinhead to kind of bring around the, the edge on that. Um, Mr. Hendrickson is still with us. He is 80 years old presently. I believe he has a birthday coming up uh, here in May. Um, so thankfully, he, he is one that is still with us. He is still working to this day. Um, most of the stuff from the, the 20 teens is a lot of direct-to-video work, a lot of voiceover work in video games. Um, but he does have a few projects that are, are coming out here in the next couple years. So fun fact about uh, Mr. Lance Henriksen. So I, I mentioned that he is obviously kind of a horror icon with some of the things that he has been a part of. Um, but he is in a very, very select group, um, one that... I believe only also encompasses um, one Mr. Bill, Bill, uh, 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 Bill Paxton <clears throat> and that he has died from a Terminator. He has died from an alien. Uh, he has died from one of the Cenobites. <laughs> uh, he, he, he checks a lot of the boxes and has been killed by many of our, our favorite people in, in, in some of those movies. So a very, very select uh, crew that he belongs to, but uh, Jeff, I have rambled on enough about this man. What is what is your your favorite Lance Henriksen uh, stuff? What what's your go tos when you think Lance Henriksen? Well, just going through everything, I forget which Alien movie it was, but I remember the Alien bursting out of him, right? And it was all the white stuff. Yes, that that, that is he was a the, robot. That, he wasn't a person. Yep, that that's the end of Aliens, the the second okay, one. Yes. So you, you think yeah, that all I, like, everything's fine and they're in the hangar bay and then all of a sudden, yes. The yes, like I remember that. 
Yeah, I just remember that as a kid because it's like it was so weird. Like, you know what I mean? And doesn't do they keep his head and it keeps talking? Is that that one? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, he, he, yeah, he serves so that, to be like, the, the navigator. Yeah, so like I don't know, that's like burnt in my brain. And I'm like, yeah, I saw his picture and saw his face. Like I knew him from something. And then when I saw aliens, like that's immediately what I thought of when I think of him. <laughs> Which I guess that's that's a good point. Maybe. Maybe I shouldn't count him on the Parthion of, of people that have died from this. Technically, the alien didn't kill him. He was a robot. And as you said, he kept oh, on yeah, going. I so, so. <laughs> I, I think I might have to return. Though I, I think he did die in one of the later... I think he died in Alien vs. Predator mm-hmm. as, as the guy, as the Wayland guy. But I'll, I'll count it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's, that's, that's the one. We're good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, well, that's the biggest one I can think of. But it's okay. like... He's just like, I feel like he's one of those guys where he's like, has a small part in a whole bunch, you know what I mean? Like his face just keeps popping up and it's just like, where, where do I know him from? And then I keep mm-hmm. seeing all these things that he's in. Like, well, yeah, no wonder I recognize his face. <laughs> yeah. He's literally in everything that we've watched from the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like who, who was he in the Terminator? I don't remember that character, but I haven't seen he, the movie in a while. Sure. He is. So the, the two characters that watch over Sarah Connor in the police station. Um, there's the psychiatrist who, who ends up living and then comes back in T2. And then there's the detective. He's one of the detectives. He's the one that ends up getting oh, okay. um, shot in the hallway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, I didn't even realize he was in that. But now that you mention it, I know what part you're talking about. Which is sad because he, he technically is being shot by himself because, as we said, he was supposed to be the Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to picture Arnie in the hallway getting shot by, by Lance Henriksen instead. <laughs> All right, but we have rambled on, uh, deservedly so, uh, a little bit about uh, one Mr. Lance Henriksen. Um, let's jump into the chapter where you get a, a nice little view of, of his acting bits. But this has been... Put my name on the board. Add my name to the list. Add a boy. All right, and we are back. Jeff, if you're ready, let us jump into uh, chapter 10, Ace versus Herod. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Let's do this. Perfect. Or excuse me, should I call you Snake Eyes, sir? I, I, I don't mean to pre- yeah. presume, presume my knowledge of it. Mr. Snake Eyes, sir, would you like to jump into chapter 10? Yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> All right, we start our chapter with... Uh, the now very familiar Silver Spurs walking in the street, and we know who this this is, obviously. Uh, but just in case we were wondering, it does immediately cut to uh, Gene Hackman's face. He asks who we will soon see as Ace Hanlon uh, if the fight about Indian Wells really took place. And Ace, douchey Jesus himself, uh, <laughs> looks into a, a handheld mirror and he's putting blackening on his mustache and beard. Uh, just a nice little touch of, of showing what kind of ego this guy has. It even, even in the West, he has to keep up his appearances, and, and heaven forbid he having any gray in his beard. Uh, I, I, for one, have had gray in my beard since I was 12. I've had a beard since I was 12, so I can't, I can't sympathize. But uh, He does say that, in, in fact, the, the fight at Indian Wells did happen. And when he's asked if he truly killed four men during it, uh, Lance Henriksen says that he did, and that he did two of them with his left hand and two with his right hand. 
and that he is equally gifted with, with both hands. So a uh, nice little touch being, being ambidextrous. I, I wonder if that'll come in, into play here shortly. Um, All right. According to uh, Mr. Herod, uh, that would make him the, the fastest gun in the West or the biggest liar. So uh, apparently something, something foul is afoot uh, of perhaps this story. And Ace is, of course, uh, offended by this. And he says that it's a pity that Herod wasn't there to find out. But dun, dun, dun. We find out that Herod was, in fact, there. Uh, he was actually the one that killed those people. And he's glad that he gets a chance to face Ace over this bit of stolen valor. And this, of course, leaves Ace visibly shaken, and, and it gives us one of our great Sam Raimi zoom-outs from his face all the way back to, to kind of getting drawn into the thing. And I, I have to wonder, Jeff, if... Because we do see that, that Ace Hanlon is, in fact, somewhat handy with a gun. You know, we had the display mm-hmm. a few chapters back of shooting the card out of the girl's hand, which... Granted, Herod did say that maybe that trick went a little bit awry in, in Reno one time, but he does successfully perform it for us here a couple chapters back. He, so he, he is knowledgeable in what he's doing, but if you're going to steal a, a, a I'm assuming, somewhat legendary story, you know, this is obviously a, a story that's gotten out that people know about, but, you know, Herod knows about it for other reasons, but it's gotten out to the point that it got back to Herod that somebody else was claiming it. Wouldn't you do your, your homework in seeing who actually, you know, if you're going to create something, create something that never happened. But if you're going to steal something that did do your homework on how it actually happened. (laughs) Right. Like I've always wondered that, like he's so cool and cocky about the story but he's talking to the guy who was responsible for it right 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 <laughs> like like why <laughs> yeah like you said do your homework like know who you're going up against or just know where you're getting your sources from your story because like this guy's obviously bringing it up for some reason right and and this is a an avoidable thing so like this gunfight we're, we're led to believe has happened multiple years in a row because they always say that Mr. Herod always wins it. So like if, if Ace is coming here to, to win the, the big prize and that's the draw for it, you would think if he knew that Herod was the guy that he, eh, maybe I'll sit this one out. You know, I'll, I'll be back yeah. on the next year when Herod, when Herod's dead, you know? Right. And, um, so, Fun fact, we, we don't get any warning with the, the clock on this time. And, and Ace Hanlon goes to draw, but he's, he's quickly shot by Herod, and he shoots off his right thumb. And, ow, first, first off, every time I see it, I, I kind of cringe, because any, any type of, like, foot horror or eye horror or, or hand horror, like, uh, I always cringe a little bit, especially being a bowler. I, I value my thumb so much that uh, <laughs> anybody that, that loses that, I, I, I can't, I can't take that. Um, That's very important. <laughs> very, very important. And so it, it, it leads me to wonder. So we, we learned earlier that, you know, you have to wait. For, well, first off, let me, let me start with my, my usual rant. So, Pat Hingle tells us in the rules that we are to wait for the first chime, chime, keyword, chime of the clock to draw. That's the signal for the contest to begin. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I have my own personal beef. For those of you that have been listening to our previous chapters, you know where I'm going with this. Please bear with me. I'm going to get back up on my soapbox for a minute. Every single contest that we've seen, everybody draws when the clock strikes the hour. Kukunk, you hear the you hear the hand move. Never once have they waited for the chime to draw on fire. Back off my soapbox. <laughs> that said, he did not even wait for the clock to, to strike the hour on this one. He, he just drew as soon as he knew that he was, he was essentially fucked by, by Herod. So is this a contest? Is Herod doling out justice at this point? What's, what's kind of your stance on, on the, the scenario? Uh, that's a good point. Um, see, I don't know. Who drew first? Does Ace draw first or does Herod draw first? Ace, went, Ace drew first and Herod blew him out. So is that a con? Oh, man, that's a good question. Because, yeah, he didn't wait for the right to play. He still out drew faster than him and blew his thumb off before he could get a shot off. Right. So by, by so I, her, I say it's a legit contest still. You're, you're you're keeping it legit. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I, I I say that the rules are fast and loose anyways because nobody draws on the chime anyways. But you know, hey. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll. So, Herod then begins to light a cigar with his right hand, and he asks about Hanlon's left-handed draw, which we we heard you know he had killed uh, the guys with with both different or with each hand. And he essentially beats him to the punch again and blasts a hole through his left hand, which, you know, when I said owie about the thumb being blown off, this, this hole in the hand, it, it makes you kind of cringe up in like an arthritic, <laughs> arthritic hand just, just kind of seeing it. Is it weird? I don't know. I, I cringe, but I also I love that camera angle and that shot of it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and it is. It's a, it's a predecessor of things to come. We're going to see a lot of things through these holes as, as the movie goes. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, the, Sam Raimi has never met a, a puncture wound that he doesn't love to throw a camera through, you know? <laughs> um, still standing, but uh, he's definitely moaning in pain, right, rightfully so. Hanlon is then made to dance as Herod pulls both his guns out and he begins shooting at the, the boots of Ace. And it's just a nice little touch. You know, we see it, it's, it's a Western trope. So Western trope alert whoop, 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 from season one. You know, you, you see things like this in, in I, even, even in like Back to the Future 3 and uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons with Yosemite yeah. Sam. You know, for some reason, they always shot at the feet of these people and made them dance. And uh, I, every time I see them now that I, I have a little bit of movie knowledge under my belt, I'm not just watching the Westerns with my dad as a kid. You know, now all I see is I always wonder why nobody ended up being like Spider from Goodfellas. You know, <laughs> uh, it's... It, 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 there's just so many bullets flying towards their feet that nobody ever gets their actual foot shot. And I, I now that I, I, being a Sam Raimi film, I was just kind of expecting, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of foot horror to go along with the hand horror. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm asking too much. Uh, but he, he does call Ace the, the, the scourge of the sagebrush and the terror of Tucson, which obviously that one hits near and dear to my heart. Tucson's just, you know, uh, 45 minutes to an hour up, up the road. Um, but apparently these are some of the, the nicknames that, that Ace has kind of collected along the way. And it makes me wonder of these, you know, is this stolen valor as well? Did, you know, did any of these stories that earned him this, this reputation, you know, were any of them actually right. true? 
Right, or is he just the guy who heard these stories and just like, like I mean, there's no Facebook, there wasn't social media back then. Exactly, right? so he exactly. Just goes around telling people he did that stuff. Yep. You know, who, who knows? He he shot Jesse James. He he you know, he was at the OK Corral with a here in yeah, here, in, be- here in beautiful Tombstone. You can get on your phone and Google it real quick, right? Yeah. Like you just I, all right, sure. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, as I say at every, at the beginning of every episode, I'm, I'm right here in beautiful tombstone. Yes. That one, uh, I've yet to see a plaque or, or a, a recreation that had Ace Hanlon in it. If I did, I would giggle because the guy would look like a douchey Jesus, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, the last one that he hits him with is just a, a bag of hot air. And then he shoots Ace right through the chest, which I found very poetic because obviously the lungs are the, the bags of hot air that, that we all contain. Um, and I, I'm always going to be the one who kind of nitpicks this and it was this, and I mentioned this before, was this the formal contest they're they're supposed to have because they were scheduled to fight each other. So Herod wins by disqualification technically. And, and the thing I wanted to bring up earlier was per, Herod's own rules that the person would be branded a cheater and removed from the contest by rights. We should see our, our CGI guy cocking the cocking his, his rifle back and forth because we're to understand that's the guy that eliminates everybody from here. I just, I want to see that guy show up again. And so Ace does one of the, the most exaggerated deaths that I can, I can actually remember. He, he first falls forward kind of taking a step forward and leaning his chest in, but then he flings himself backwards. And <laughs> I, I found that interesting. You know, obviously the, the bullet would, would do a little bit of that, but the bullets long through him by the time he flies backwards in a, in a perfect uh, back bump for my wrestling fans out there. I mean, he, he takes a good flat back bump. I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> And uh, so Gene Hackman just stands there and he, he's, he's proud of his work. And in true heel fashion, he looks around at the crowd and he notices that nobody is celebrating his win. And apparently he wants the kid treatment. You know, everybody else was so congratulatory of the, of the kid beating Gutsen and carrying him up on his shoulders and hurrah and hoomphing and hurrah and taking him to the bar. So apparently he wanted a little bit of that love for himself. So he raises his arms to his side and they slowly but surely catch on on what it is that, he, that he's wanting. And we do get a nice polite golf clap, uh, start slowly and, and finally building up and Hackman turns and begins to walk back to his house, uh, arms over his head and, and he's soaking in the victory lap. But I, I just thought it was a, a great heel touch of essentially forcing your minions to kind of celebrate you. Oh, yeah, it's great. And like you said, very few people can, like, pull it off, like, the way Gene Hackman did it. Like, it's just so great. Yeah, it, it doesn't come across hammy as, I mean, th- this guy, if he wanted to, he could chew the scenery up. We've seen his Lex Luthor. But mm-hmm, it's just, right? like, yeah. you're looking like, you're like, I feel a little bit terrified not to clap at this guy just watching him through the screen. Like, he's just, he just right, embodies yeah. this this evil nastiness. I I can't can't gush enough about that character. Um, so Sharon Stone is visibly upset, and as she looks over to the the fallen Ace, she sees the the vultures figuratively. I mean, assume that the buzzards would probably be coming in relatively soon, but 
Um, I, I would not have put it past Raimi to actually have vultures there already. You know, like one sitting on the, the, the fence post next to Ace Hanlon, a couple of them, like you can see the shadows of them swirling over them. I, I would not have put that past Raimi to, to have done that. But uh, we do have the, the human vultures uh, picking at the, the clothes and items on Ace. And we see scars in there and he's pulling the gun belt off of them. Uh, Eugene's picking his pockets and he does find a, a necklace. There's another man pulling off his boots and it, it, it has the, uh, the Ace of Spades on them. So nice little custom work there. You know, live, live your brand. If you're going to live and die by your brand, you know, walk around. I, I have an RTS bowling shirt on almost every day. I, 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 get, I get it. <laughs> the, the, you know, selfless, shameless promotion is, is, is nothing. Nothing um, wrong with that. Yeah, no, no. There's, uh, there's another man with a, a sombrero on and his back is to the camera and he doesn't appear to get anything except shoved by scars out of the way. So he pantomimes putting something in his vest pocket, but we don't see what it could have actually been. Like if you go, if you watch just that guy, he never actually grabs anything, but he does go through the motions of putting things into his pockets. It's a, it's a nice little catch if, you, if, you're, if you're watching. <laughs> Um, we cut back to Sharon Stone being disgusted by this and she storms out of the crowd and this only takes a, a couple of seconds, but when we come back to Ace, there are now five people scattering away from his body and he's now left there in only his white socks, his white union suit and figurative bones uh, being picked clean. So, uh, there's only a, a solitary Ace of Spades lying by his, his side. So nice little touch that, you know, these guys are are such quick change artists that, you know, they can completely pick a body clean in, in mere seconds. Um, but that, uh, that unfortunately is where we do end our chapter, uh, with the, the lady seeing a glimpse of, of her fate, essentially, if she was to lose in this contest. And, you know, there's now one less potential suitor for her. She, uh, she had her chance to, to jump on the ace train, but, you know, she did deny him that. She, she did not <laughs> succumb to his hotness, his, his juicy, his juicy Jesus-ness. Um, oh, how can you resist? <laughs> he's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is where we leave off. Jeff, do you got, do you got any notes to, to close up with? Um, no, I just didn't know. I saw that ace there at the end. Was that supposed to be like like an ace up his sleeve or something? Because it's by his arm. You yes. know what I mean? Yep. yep okay. Yep. Yeah. He's he, a cheater, and that's he, like he is. So he had his his stacked deck earlier when we first get introduced to him. Um, mm -hmm. So apparently, he puts an ace of spades in the deck every time he kills a person. And when he fans out this deck, this deck has probably eighty cards in it by now. But you see quite a few of the ace of spades. Uh, but, you know, if he's center playing cards, I do not put it against him whatsoever to, to have a couple of those up his sleeve just in right. case. Um, or maybe it's just his calling. I mean, he passes them out like business cards. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Jeff, let's, uh, let's play a little game, if you, if you will. We, we, last time when we were here, uh, we got to learn a little bit about your history with the movie. Uh, I know that you had watched it quite a, quite a bit as a kid. Uh, we got your gunfighter name. You are, in fact, Mr. Snake Eyes. Uh, but a, a nice little one that we like to do for our returning champions. Uh, Jeff, let's play Fuck, Mary Kill, uh, a game that I'm, I'm sure you played in your, your early Ute uh, days. But uh, of our cast of characters, so anybody in this movie whatsoever, 
uh, who would you fuck, who would you marry, and who would you kill, and why? And go. Okay, um, I guess I'm going with Ellen for fuck, Sharon Stone. I like I it, mean, okay. She's pretty hot in the hot gunfighter chick, right? Nothing wrong with that. And then, honestly, looking at it and thinking about it, a marry and kill might be the same person. It might be Gene Hackman's Herod. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> you know, he's the he's running the town, right? That's who I want to marry in the town. I, I, but I, I also... Mean, if you're going to sleep your way to the top, sleep to the top, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, he runs the town. I don't know. I also want to put Ace probably up there for kill. I don't like <laughs> douchey <Jesus. laughs> this. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Hmm? I, I, said, I like it. I like it. Absolutely nothing wrong with those choices. So we have right. put, put, put the put the lady up for F, put uh, Mr. Hackman up for, for Mary, uh, and douchey Jesus himself up for, for the kill. Let's, let's put those ones in the record <laughs> books. All right. As we close up, Jeff, uh, where, where can we find you, man? What, what have you been up to? Um, nothing much. Um, just, um, working, uh, uh, Associated Plastics in Ada, Ohio. Um, we're doing shout action out. morning there. Shout mm-hmm. out to powerful yeah, Ada, Ohio. Ohio. Also in Ada, Ohio, Norita Lanes. Um, they're wrapping up their bowling seasons here soon for their, all their men, women's leagues out there. And, um, what's up with me? Um, I'm having another boy here soon. In a Congra- little bit. Congratulations, yeah. sir. We're super excited that's to hear the, that for uh, you. That's number two for us, for me and my wife. So shout out to my wife, Ellie. And shout out to Ellie as well. She, she was sorry she couldn't be with us tonight. We're still trying to get her on one of these episodes. I'm going, I'm going to pin her down once she has the baby and has all that free time. <laughs> all right, we'll get her. <laughs> All right, so uh, I, folks, if you're if you're from the Northwest Ohio area and you you don't know about Norada Lanes, uh, let me let me gush on them for a minute. That's that's my my beloved uh, uh, home lanes that I came from uh, after uh, Southgate. But uh, if you want just good old fashioned bowling, uh, it's a little eight laner house. They have still the the original wood lanes. Um, so if you if you want to learn how to bowl, learn learn on some wood. It's not synthetics. Um, and they- they just got the new Cruising USA game out there, so I was not out. aware of that. Yeah, <laughs> I I just may book a flight, <laughs> Mama. <laughs> Mama, I may be coming home, and I, if you want to see me, I, I'll be over in Ada. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, guys, definitely check out Nareda Lanes. The the Wolber family, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't gush on them enough. They're awesome, awesome people. Uh, as we're recording this, we actually just finished our fifth annual. Uh, uh, Smith Family Bowling Scholarship Foundation fundraiser, the SFBSF. Um, for those that hear the ads at the beginning of these episodes, it's obviously the, the scholarship foundation that I created in, in honor of my dad that awards youth bowlers um, scholarship money to go towards uh, offsetting their, their future cost of education. Uh, we're very proud of what we do, and, and we absolutely 1,000% could not do what we do if it wasn't for Nareda and the Wolber family being so generous and so kind and allowing us to do our fundraiser there every year um, and taking care of our people. But yeah, definitely, if you're in the area, stop in Nareda, get some awesome food, uh, check out the mm-hmm. great bowling environment, but at the same time, just sit and chat with the Wolber family. You're going to fall in love with them just like I do. I drag them all the way out here to the West to bowl in nationals with them every year just so I can, I can kind of see them. So uh, definitely check them out. But Jeff, we, oh, thank we appreciate you, thank you. 
Oh no, man! That's it, I. That is not a. That is not a paid promotion, folks. That that, that is straight <laughs> one thousand percent from the heart. Um, but Jeff, I'm so glad that you came back again for for this episode. Thank you for coming on. Uh, hopefully, we will have you back very very soon for another episode. But until we do, folks, we're going to wrap it up. If you have not already, please, please, please check us out on social media. Uh, we are Support Your Local Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find us, uh, any podcatcher that is out there, you can find us. Uh, search for either Support Your Local Podcast or The Quick in the Pod, which is just this season that we're doing. Um, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, concerns, anything like that, hit me up at SUP. S-U-P-P, your local podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and rate and review us. It's absolutely free. It takes you about five seconds, but it does huge, huge things for the podcast, getting us moved up in the rankings. Gets these soothing dulcet tones in as many ear holes as it possibly can. Uh, but I, I love you guys. I will see you now very, very soon for our next episode. Jeff, take care. Take care of that baby. Send my love to the Wolbers. But as always, everybody, support your local podcast.